to the Talking Chop Podcast. Uh, my name is Brad Roland. This is the second time you've heard my dulcet tones at the top of the podcast. Um, and we are certainly missing Carlos Colazzo. But uh, today we've got, for episode 17, uh, the great Scott Coleman is on with me. And we're going to be talking about uh, lots of different things from Major League teams to the prospects. And of course, the 2016 MLB Draft. What's going on, Scott? Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me back on. It's my pleasure, sir. Uh, it's been too long, um, and obviously, you know, Scott is a legend in talking chop circles. So I, think, <laughs> I think you're the longest tenured uh, staff member, right? At this point, I think so. I've been I've been doing stuff on and off with the site for like six, seven years now, which is crazy to think about. I think it was 2010 was the first year I really kind of got going with the site. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. At the back when Braves fans still like Jason Hayward. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure we have staff members that were still in like middle school in 2010. As scary <laughs> right. as that is, um, yeah, yeah. I was in college then, so I'm not. I'm, well, actually, no, I was out of college then already. because so, I'm old. I'm and by that, I, it's funny because I'm not. I'm not 30 yet, and I'm considered to be old by our yeah. staff. I think. Oh yeah, but, uh, I'm 24 and feel old, so you know it's it's a struggle. There you have it. Um, before we get into the draft stuff, and we we will get there. Um, obviously, that was the biggest thing that happened this week. Well, I want to hit, a, hit on a little bit of news at the top. Um, I guess the biggest news item this week was a uh, the trade of Kelly Johnson again to the New York Mets. The you know the 317th trade of Kelly Johnson in Braves history, uh, and uh, the Braves acquired uh, a reliever, Akil Morris, as a prospect. Uh, he's a 23 year old right hander. Um, what do you think about the deal? Um, are you happy with? Not necessarily happy with getting rid of Kelly, but happy with the return, and uh, is it something that we can see more of coming forward with uh, sort of the veterans getting sold off here? Yeah, I think it's Kelly Johnson's going to be one of a couple guys who will probably shipped out. Of course, Jason Grilly was the first one a couple weeks back. Uh, Kelly Johnson, Alexi Agondo, um, maybe you see an A.J. Pruszynski as bad as he's been, gets shipped out. Um, and really for the Braves, you know, Kelly Johnson was – a guy of he was one of about seven that were kind of rotating between the three infield spots um other than first base i think if you're the mets you just kind of if you're a mets fan you kind of scratch your head a little bit not that akil morris is is the second coming of of craig kimbrell or something like that but um does have good strikeout numbers in the minor leagues he's 23 um seems to have a real hard fastball and a, and a solid changeup, uh decent slider so um even if he can be a an okay middle reliever for any length of time for the Braves. It's basically a, a free gift to the club, considering that anyone could have signed Kelly Johnson for for basically nothing last winter. Um, so to have him for two months and then flip him to the Mets for uh, a decent relief arm, uh, I think it was kind of a no brainer for for the front office. Yeah, I mean, we were all talking about this in the off season about how you know most of us figured this team was not going to compete this year, and that's obviously um, come to be. But signing Kelly for you know relatively cheap, uh, bringing him in and getting and then getting value as you said. I mean Morris is not going to be he's not an elite prospect by any means, but our prospect guys sort of got a closer look at him this week after the deal and were pretty encouraged. I mean this is he probably as you said could could be a middle to late middle to late inning reliever and you know twenty three year old with some strikeout potential. Um, I know a couple of our prospect guys love his changeup. Um, you mentioned that earlier too and. Getting anything for Kelly right now. I mean, this is a guy with a you know a two fifteen, two seventy three, two eighty nine slash line this year. Um, for you know, relatively small sample, only about one hundred and thirty plate appearances. But Kelly's not very good right now. Um, this is a guy that I think some of us like. I know I always like Kelly. He's a, he's yeah. useful because he can play uh, you know multiple positions, left handed bat, and has you know has had some success in the past. But he's exactly the, the type of guy that you don't need on this team right now. Um, you don't want you don't want a veteran with no with no uh, no future with the team. No, you know it's not like he's locked up to a long term contract. There's no reason to keep him around for the rest of 2016 when you can get something for him and maybe clear some space. Obviously, that the talk about Albies and Swanson ending up with the team by the end of the year is uh, always linked to every time uh, every time an infielder goes away, it's more talk about those two guys. But in the, even in the grand scheme, besides that. There's not really a place for Kelly on the Braves in 2016, so getting something for him is definitely a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, outside of that, a um, couple of uh, call-ups. Uh, Jace Peterson was recalled from Gwinnett. Um, this obviously is a huge news, but um, he spent a good deal of time there, had 110 plate appearances, really kind of struggled in Gwinnett, uh, 50, a 52 WRC plus during his time yeah. in AAA, which is not really what you want to see from a guy who's never hit at the major league level. Um, 
you know, it's again, it's a small sample, but Jace is one of those uh, players where his glove is not a, is not in question. He's always been a good defender wherever he's played, um, and he brings that versatility, sort of like Kelly does. But this, uh, you know, Jace is already twenty six years old, and the fact that he struggled to really hit a triple A is a little bit worrisome to me. What do you think about Jace moving forward, especially and uh, having having him back for the rest of the year? Yeah, kind of as I mentioned a few minutes ago with Kelly Johnson, he just kind of joins a handful of people throwing their hat in the ring to get regular starts at really second base or third. I don't think Jace can really play short except for in a pinch. But um, why not? I I probably prefer playing um, as far as defensively, of course, even though Adonis Garcia the last week or so has suddenly become an an all-world defender. Oh, Lord. (laughs) There. Uh, You know, as you said, the glove does bring, um, it solidifies the infield a little bit, but he's never really hit at the big league level. He never really hit all that well in the minor league level Um, up until we get Dansby and and Ozzy up in the big leagues. It's going to kind of be a a revolving door uh, up the middle and at third. So bring him up. I can't imagine Chase was super thrilled about being demoted from a team that has the worst record in baseball down to Gwinnett. Gwinnett. But um, we'll see. Maybe he can turn it on the second half a little bit or, you know, this summer heat up a little bit. I think he had two hits um, in his first game back. But, again, there's just not a whole lot to work with right now in the infield other than, than Freddie. Yeah, Jay seemed to be pretty happy to come back up. Obviously, uh, no one likes to spend time in AAA when they've been in the majors for a little a little while, which Jace had been. Uh, you know, I've sort of been team Jace, and that I think he can play all over the place, including the outfield. Um, and I wanted, I really wanted him to play more outfield at Gwinnett. He did play some outfield there, but you know, if I'm if I'm the Rays, I would be trying to have him be the super utility guy, literally like could play you know you know six positions. You mentioned that he probably shouldn't be playing shortstop, and I kind of agree there. He wouldn't be great there, but he can do it. Um, and he's a, he's above average at second base for sure. I think he's pretty good at third base too. And he has the speed. You know, this is a Jace is a serious athlete to where he could play the outfield if you needed him to. Um, and with Kelly being gone now, um, obviously, you know, Jace was the guy who replaced Kelly on the roster. And with sure. with Johnson playing some outfield, um, Jace, you know, kind of can be your fourth emergent. Well, not fourth. I guess Frank Core is your fourth outfielder, but your fifth your fifth outfielder right now. Also, if you needed a guy to play out there, um, I just don't think he's ever going to hit enough to be a major league regular. So if he has any hope of sticking around long term, it's going to be in that super utility role. And I want him I want him to succeed. That's a guy who I, I, who I definitely enjoy. Like he has that speed. He has some speed. He's, yeah. again, an elite athlete, but the, the bats just never play. And that's it's starting to get a little bit frustrating, um, especially for the people that really had high expectations for Jace, uh, especially last year when he was pretty good early and sort of cooled yeah. off. And it's never really he was one of the. Yeah, he was one of the better players on the Braves in the first half of last season. And then, you know, he claimed he was injured in the offseason that, you know, he suffered an injury midway through last year. And whether or not that's true, there's no reason not to believe him. But, you know, to, there was some hope coming into this year that Jace could establish himself as an everyday second baseman. But clearly that hasn't been the case so far. It's just jarring that he can't have any – there's no power there considering how athletic and how strong, how big he is. It's just mm-hmm. kind of weird to see a guy who looks like that, who runs like that, that can't hit for any power. But it just never – it's never come. I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah, yeah, Baseball, yeah. Baseball's a weird game, Scott. It really is. Fits right in with the rest of the team, I guess. It's, yeah, power it's is an issue. Um, yeah. Shout out to Nick Markakis. Yeah. We spent a lot of time on Nick Markakis, so we won't do that today, but shout-out to Nick Markakis on the power segment of the podcast. Only two and a half more years. Oh, Lord. Uh, moving right along from Nick, um, Eric Ibar's back, Scott. Um, temper your excitement down and tell us a little bit about Eric Ibar being back. Uh, Daniel Castro got the axe. Uh, I've been sort of famously um, anti-Castro, not as a player. I kind, of, I kind of enjoy his glove. He's a good defensive player, but I didn't believe uh, the offense early on and kind of got made fun of by our uh, – a lot of our readers on that, and it looks like I was probably right on that one. But Eric Ibar is back, um, and he was he was also awful in Gwinnett. Um, for uh, again, it was a, it was a shorter stint; it was a rehab stint for Ibar. But can we expect him to be any better than he was early in the season? Can he be any worse than he was earlier in the season? What do you think about Ibar? You know, I love that his first at bat on Sunday against the Cubs, run around third. I think it was one one at that point. And uh, Ibar comes up and swings the ball. It basically bounces. He hits a two-bouncer to the third baseman. And Adonis Garcia gets thrown out in a rundown trying to score on a ball he should have never tried to score on. Um, It was kind of a nice little uh, recap of Ibar's first two months with the Braves. Um, I don't really see how he could be any worse. He's been one of the worst players in baseball so far. Um, 
maybe there's a little bit left, but clearly it's a guy who is not interested in playing in Atlanta. Of course, he had been with the Angels. Someone said he signed with the, with the Angels when he was 15 or 16. Uh, so he had been with them for like 15 years. So the fact that he leaves an organization that he's been with his entire professional career uh, on maybe the you know the worst team, second worst team in baseball, with, up there with the Twins, of course. Um, I don't think Ibar has much of anything left to give. And I'd be pretty surprised if he's still making uh, any kind of start uh, come like the All Star break. Um, if he's still struggling the way is he, the way he is, obviously no team, no contender is going to have a room for him on on the twenty five man roster. So um, again, kind of we keep saying it, but just kind of filling in that revolving door of of infielders who are trying to to get starts every couple uh, every couple days. Um, but at this point, you just hope for anything out of Ibar because uh, his first two months were, were pretty brutal. Yeah, we we talked about Ibar a lot, so I won't I won't belabor it. But um, he is the worst player in baseball, at least this year has been. Um, his numbers don't look as bad cumulatively now that he missed you know a month or so. Um, but on a, on a per on a per at bat basis, no one's been worse um, as a combined you know offensive and defensive player than Ibar, which nobody could have seen coming. I don't think any of us thought he was going to be awesome, but no one could no one could have seen this type of disaster. Yeah. Um, it is, yeah. worth, it is worth mentioning, as you said, that he was with the Angels for so long that maybe he's just kind of out of sorts here. But, you know, you're moving to the easier league in the National League, too. Um, so it's one of yeah. those things where it's kind of inexplicable how bad he's been. Um, Daniel Castro, we should at least mention. I know I brought him up earlier. I, I don't think he's going to be – if he is a major leaguer moving forward, it's going to be in that straight defensive replacement role. Um, he's not a starting a, a starting uh, player at any position. I think that was sort of a mirage early on where he had some bad bit luck bunch of singles uh he, he can make contact but zero power and um being good being a good defender is is useful but it would definitely have to be in a bench role i would say would you agree with that yeah absolutely he's a he is a guy who is a, a much better 25th man on a good team's roster than he is a 25th man on a bad team's roster yeah he'd, he'd be useful some places but this probably isn't one of them yeah, yeah. Um, one more thing on the news section before we get to the draft stuff. Um, there was sort of a, a, an infamous hit piece this week on the SunTrust Park and uh, Cobb County, um, and the way that that all went down. It was it was entitled um, "Cobb County and the Braves: The Worst Sports Stadium Deal Ever?" with a question mark. Huh. Uh, it came from Vice Sports. Um, we, without getting you know too deep into this, because obviously people can go read the piece, and maybe I'll link to it in the in the in the, in the uh, podcast post, but. Um, I, I know we talked about it a little bit before, but have you have you read this? Does it make it does it make you change how the way you feel about the ballpark? Um, obviously, you don't live here. Um, I, I'm not sure if everybody knows that, but Scott Scott does not live in Georgia or anywhere near Atlanta. Um, how does that make you feel as an outsider in that respect? And uh, it, are you are you still excited about the new ballpark from afar? From afar, absolutely. I'm all for the new stadium, and I think just kind of over the last two years or so since it's been announced. There's really a dividing line between who's excited for the stadium and who isn't, or at least a lot of folks fall on uh, one side or the other. If you're a local, you don't seem to like the deal or the new stadium a whole lot. Um, but if you're an out-of-towner, then you're absolutely for it. Uh, you know Why not? Let's get a new stadium. For me, you know, if you read through the Vice piece, and there is some interesting points, points that are brought up. Um, you know, it mentions the whole property tax and money for local parks. You know, I don't live in Cobb County, so if the property taxes go up there, I really don't care um, as uh, as bad as that may sound. You know, it just doesn't really impact me one way or the other. Um, the whole thing about traffic being bad and it getting tough to, to get people to the stadium. Look, you know, the Braves were the best team in baseball for really five months uh, in 2013 uh, when they had Hayward and Upton and Gaddis and all them really going. And they were lucky to get 20,000 people a night to Turner Field. So it's not like you're going from a situation where you have 45,000 people at Turner Field every night and then suddenly because of some traffic and, and problems on the highway and accessibility issues that you know the attendance is going to get cut in half. Um, the Vice piece also kind of hits on the Braves for raising ticket prices at a brand new stadium. Um, I can't imagine there is a new stadium opening in America that wouldn't have increased ticket prices. I mean, that's kind of going to be par for the course, no matter if you're in Atlanta, if you're in New York, uh, L.A., wherever. Um, so I, I understand 
the frustrations with the new park, of course, there's going to be the traffic concerns. Uh, there are the concerns about how folks are going to get to the stadium, at least until the bridge is built over the interstate there. Um, but as an out-of-towner, I really just I don't care a whole bunch. I'm excited to see the new stadium. Um, it, it looks like it's going to be a good-looking place. Um, and, of course, uh, I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see to um, how bad of an issue it really is getting to the stadium uh, come 2017. Yeah, first, before I say anything on my end, as a local, um, public funding for stadiums is is bad. It's always been bad. It doesn't work. Um, there's there's no, there's numerous things you could read where public funding is never a good idea in the grand scheme. Um, so let me say that ahead of time before I say everything else that I'm going to say. It's public getting public money for to build a professional sports stadium and give and give the, the break to the owners of that of that franchise in that stadium is is never a good idea. Now, uh, I kind of agree with Scott, uh, even as a local, um, in the fact that obviously if you live in Cobb County, this is not good for you and you shouldn't be happy about this. Um, even as a, as a diehard sports person as I am, if I lived in Cobb and voted in Cobb, I would have voted against this if given the opportunity. Um, just because the Braves don't need taxpayer money. Liberty Media does not need taxpayer money. They could have pulled this off if they wanted to without that money. Um, but um, the logistics stuff is real. Um, the... The traffic's going to be a nightmare. As someone who used to live near that area and has been over there several times um, on a regular basis, it's going to—it's already a disaster around there. So it's going to be, you know, untenable. You're going to have to leave two, three hours before the game to get there on a weeknight. Um, that's just the reality of it. But this is Atlanta, and traffic's always a disaster. <laughs> it's going to—it's going to go up a notch or two, but at the same time, it's—it's it's going to be bad. And the, you know, the, you mentioned the lack of a pedestrian bridge. It's, the parking is going to be a mess, and. All of it, especially in year one, is going to be a mess. There's no question about it. But if, from the Braves' perspective, um, the Cobb County dealings are definitely shady, and you should definitely read the piece to go into that. And there's been several – the AJC's done good stuff on this um, for as much as we kind of poke fun at the AJC sometimes. It's been it's, – they've done a good job covering the story. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some shady stuff there. But from the team standpoint, I think something has got to be brought up is that the Braves did not have a stake in Turner Field. Um, they were they were they were they were paying a lease on Turner yep. Field. There's a reason they're moving out after 20 years. They had a 20 year lease with with the uh, with Turner Field after after the Olympics in 1996. And I know most people kind of know that by now, but it's been it's been painted as if the Braves you know have no reason to move out all this stuff. And for, financially, this makes all the sense in the world for Liberty Media. It just does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you can hate that if you want to, and I get it. I totally do. Um, especially the politics part of it on how it got done, but they were a tenant of Turner Field. Yeah. Um, they didn't do enough, in my opinion, to build up around Turner Field. And I know, Scott, you're not a local, so it's not like this is going to hit you hard, but like that, that area is, is, you know, there's nothing there. There's no incentive to go early to a Braves game at Turner Field. There's nothing around. There's not, there's not a district of food. There's not anywhere to eat ahead of time. There's parking lots and a stadium. That's basically it. There's one sports bar on the opposite side um, that I won't plug here because, you know, it's kind of you know free free advertising and such, but it was not an event place. Atlanta's such an event town. Like there's, Turner Field is not an event place. Even when the Braves were rocking, as you mentioned in the you know in the '90s and even as recently as 2013, when they were pretty darn good, um, Turner Field was never an event place. And the Braves are trying to you know they're doing their damnedest to make SunTrust Park an event destination. Um, so. I totally get it. That's the long rambling answer. I get why people are upset about it and how it got done. But from the Braves, you know, perspective, this 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 does nothing but help the on-field product, which I think we care about more than anything. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but on on our side, I'm you know we're dealing with Braves as a sporting entity. Um, Not a you know it's not political for us. We're we're trying to make sure that they. Uh, and talk about the bat, talk, talk about baseball as it is, and you know, making more money um, inevitably is probably a good thing. Um, this will this will increase attendance at least in the short term. I'm pretty pretty confident they're going to sell some seats um, in year one because that's what happens. I remember Target Field um, for the Twins when they opened that up. Um, they signed Joe Maurer to a massive deal, and they kind of attributed that to um, getting getting the bump from the new stadium, and it ended up working out for them. Um, that, that that deal may not be the best, but they were able to pay it comfortably and keep Maurer with the team because of the fact that they made more money at the new stadium. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is what it is. We, 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 we could do a half hour on, the, on, on SunTrust Park, but you know the piece is worth reading for sure, and the political ramifications and the way they did it, it's, it's definitely seedy, so I get it, but... I'm not nearly as upset as other people are about the Braves moving to the suburbs because, you know, 
they were they were a tenant of Turner Field. That has to be mentioned um, in any in any in anything is that they you know it's not like they they built the stadium. It's not like they have anything that ties them there. They moved in because the the Olympics were building a stadium. That's really that's really what happened in the in the uh, that's at least the short term uh, answer of what how that how that all went down. Yeah, I think give it you know it's it's never fun to play this, and really you're kind of playing it with the big league Braves too. But you know, give it three years and let's kind of see where we're at. If people are still calling it the worst sports stadium deal ever then maybe the Braves really did screw it up but I think once it's built and once people start to see the payoff of a brand new stadium uh I think the I guess the hatred of a new ballpark will will decline at least a little bit yeah I mean there'll be people that are especially people from from inside the perimeter here are never going to like that the team moved out to the suburbs yeah that's the other part of this is that they're no longer whether they, I think they have an Atlanta address still having you know being someone who lived over there there's there's some Atlanta addresses where where the park is, but they're no longer in the city, which people don't like i mean there's even as much as there are you know tons and tons of teams that moved out of the city. I can think of a few off the top of my head the Detroit Pistons play in Auburn Hills. Mm-hmm. It's about an hour from Detroit, and they're called the Detroit Pistons. Like this stuff happens. Right. Yeah, both the, Dal- the, the Dallas Cowboys play have you know used to play in Irving. Now they play in Arlington. Right, Cardinals, uh, Arizona Phoenix Cardinals, uh, Arizona Cardinals. What are they? And no one likes the Arizona Cardinals. now. Yes, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they're in Glendale. So are the so are the Coyotes. It was the Coyotes that changed. Now they're the Arizona Coyotes, not the Phoenix Coyotes. Um, but both the Coyotes and the Cardinals moved out to Glendale outside of, of downtown Phoenix. So it happens. I mean, there's reasons why they get them out of the middle of downtown. Yeah, I mean, Cliff's Notes version, it, it's a bad thing for Cobb County's taxpayers and the way it all went down. And look, you can look look no further than the, than the Gwinnett Braves. That's they're, they're mentioned in that piece of how Gwinnett really kind of screwed themselves on that deal as well. Um, and that's a really nice ballpark for AAA, but they spent a ton of money and taxed, taxed a ton of money from their um, from their uh, residents on a stadium that really didn't need to be built the way it was built and all that stuff. And you read the piece is the Cliff's Notes, but there you go. Um, we'll move on from that as yeah. fast as humanly possible. Now, lots of hot takes after yeah. rambling. Yes, this is our this is this this concludes Scott and Brad's uh, hot take <laughs> corner for the day. Um, now to the draft. Um, obviously, we've done uh, the blowout uh, job on the draft throughout the week. And shout out to Eric Cole, Garrett Spain, and all of our prospect guys. Um, Ivan, um, Gorev, everybody that, uh, did, and Demetrius, everybody that did work on the draft this week. Um, for our purposes here, we'll probably talk about the, the top guys, um, most, most of the way, because, you know, neither of us, I would say are super dialed into the 23rd round draft pick. Um, but the big story, uh, you know, the Braves had three of the top 45 picks and five of the top 80 picks. Um, obviously the big, the big news is the number three overall pick where the Braves took Ian Anderson. Um, which was kind of off the radar guy until the last couple of days. Um, Scott, what do you what do you think about Ian Anderson, and what do you think about the Braves' overall plan? Because they, uh, I think, it, it becomes pretty obvious what the Braves were trying to do, and that they were trying to you know save some money on that third pick to spend it later. What do you think about that? Sure, you know they went into it with a plan. A lot of folks thought they would try to cut a deal it with the third pick in order to sign at least one big name uh, with the 40th or 44th pick. Uh, it turns out they really cut a deal at, at number three with Ian Anderson, um, and were able to get Joey Wentz at 40 and Kyle Mueller, the uh, the National Player of the Year, uh, at 44. So in that sense, the Braves did everything they want. Of course. When you take high school pitching, you are taking an enormous gamble that these kids won't ever get past double-A ball. Um, but if you're able to develop them and, and move them through the system and continue to improve um, some plus offerings that they already have, uh, that's how you immediately – or not immediately uh, – but can really build a, a staff uh, in a hurry if these guys start to pay off. Um, I like Ian Anderson. He seems to me um, he might be the safer of the high school arms, uh, at least um, between Jason Groom and Riley Pint, uh, two guys who are heavily rumored to the Braves. Um, of course, he's not facing great competition in upstate New York, um, but I do like Anderson, and considering he'll probably get about half of the recommended $6.5 million dollar uh, slot bonus for that area. Um, that was certainly an appealing part for the Braves. Um, big kid, pitchability, makeup, all the words that scouts like. Um, if he can improve his his uh, change up in a in a curve that he throws, uh, he could. I think his upside. I think I saw Keith Law say he could be a low end number two uh, or a good number three, which those pitchers certainly don't grow on trees. Um, and then both Wentz and Mueller are hard throwing lefties who. 
um, are really just kind of physical specimens. Both are about 6'5 and 230 pounds. If you watch video of them, you think, boy, that kid could play outside linebacker in college, no problem. Um, I think they both did play football. So um, you certainly like that the Braves stuck to their plan. I know a lot of folks are going to be upset, and, and I was too. Um, I still think they should have taken a bat at number three just because there's really no one in the system um, other than Swanson and Albies. Um, but, you know, the fact that you can add three more elite uh, high school pitching talents when last year the Braves used uh, their top couple picks on Colby Allard and Mike Soroka, um, a couple of, of other promising high school arms, uh, the Braves have their plan and, and they're sticking to it at least uh, two years into the rebuild. Yeah, for sure. I think on, on Ian, Ian Anderson, there was, there was a ton of talk about his makeup. And, you know, this is a 17, 18-year-old kid where you're not expecting the world from him from a makeup, makeup perspective. I, I think of how I was when I was 17, 18 years old as a senior in high school and how, how much pressure this kid's about to be under um, just because of where he was drafted. But a ton of stuff from not just Braves people, but, you know, national writers and people that cover this on a regular basis talking about how, how good this kid's makeup is and how, and how uh, polished he is for a high school pitcher. So that's encouraging, um, especially from when, you know, the Braves, this is a fan base that's about to start getting uh, impatient with this particular strategy, which we'll, we'll hit on again in a second. But, you know, you're drafting an, you know, an 18-year-old kid here, and the fastest you're going to see him in the major leagues is, you know, three or four years, and that's, and that's if things go perfectly for a high school arm. You're going to see him, you know, in probably four years, and that's uh, – it requires some level of patience, but Anderson's an advanced, an advanced kid from a, uh, an approach perspective. His pitching – his pitches are advanced on that, on that scale, and that's something that has to be said. And same, same goes for Wentz and Mueller. Those, those guys, as you mentioned, are more high upside, uh, high-risk guys with the, the fact that they're, you know, big, sto- big stocky left-handers. Um, there's always a premium on left-handed pitching. And given that the Braves currently have zero left-handed arms in the majors at this, in, the, in the rotation and haven't had a start from a left-hander all year, uh, which seems crazy, but that's that's the reality. So, wow. yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's nobody. I mean, none of, none of the guys that are either in the majors or close to the majors right now are left-handed. So, um, you know, it's there's always there's always a premium on lefties across Major League Baseball, but especially for the Braves, um, I think they've been interested in uh, adding some left-handed depth. And there are, there are some prospects in, in the minors where they're already left-handed that they already have on board, but adding two more with high upside is real. And, you know, look, the overarching theme of these first three picks, for me at least, is that all three were considered to be pretty universally tapped as top 25 prospects in this class. And to get three of the top 25, you know, when, when you're picking at 3, 40, and 44, that's a win. Uh, even if you don't think Anderson was worth the number three pick, and he probably wasn't from a pure talent perspective, but, you know, Without getting too deep into the, into the into the bonus pool stuff, saving all that money as you mentioned on Anderson uh, allows them to draft Wentz and Mueller. That's that's the thing about it. So you're you're giving a little bit back to gain later, and uh, I think we all wanted to see um, at least at least part of us wanted to see a high impact college bat with number three pick. I know Kyle Lewis and Corey Ray were two uh, common names that Braves fans wanted to wanted to see brought in, just because those guys are closer to the majors. Uh, there's sort of that light, light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, in the case of Lewis, a local guy from Mercer um, that excited the fans a lot. But, you know, pure upside, pure talent, pure value perspective, I think the Braves probably couldn't do better than they did with, the, with, the, with these three picks. Um, I know we kind, of, we, we kind of talked around it, Scott, but what do you think about the overall direction of adding, you know, the Braves added six more pitchers in the first seven picks, and the fan base is – a lot of people in the fan base do not like that um, just because of the fact that, you know, we keep talking about it. We have, the Braves have all these – all these young arms and uh, the only two young bats um, at, at this sort of high level are Swanson and Albies who, you know, both are nice prospects, but both are middle infielders um, and neither is a big power guy. Um, what do you think about the overall, the overall uh, tact here to grab, you know, again, grab six pitchers in the first seven picks? My thinking with that is uh, with the July 2nd international free agency period coming up. And I know not everyone may be, super familiar with it, but essentially teams get a certain amount of money to spend every summer. And if you go over it or you blow your money the year before, you don't get to spend as much the following year. So the last couple of years, the Braves have been really uh, smart and savvy and haven't blown their budget on the international free agency signings. So that's going to change in about three weeks. They are going to spend um, many, many millions of dollars, including – uh, 
upwards of three to four million on Kevin, uh, Kevin Mighton, Kevin Matan. I'm not entirely sure how he says it. Anyway, uh, once in a generation talent, supposed to be an elite hitter, probably would have been um, the best hitting prospect in this year's um, uh, draft class. Uh, if he was an American player. So considering that the Braves are rumored to have kind of backdoor deals with five or six of the best um, international free agents, I think that probably played an, a big role in the Braves going heavy on pitching uh, in, in the June draft. Um, you know, of course, these kids that they're going to sign are all teenagers. So they're, they're many years away, like Anderson, like Wentz, like Mueller. Um, but my thinking is the Braves knew they were going to get some bats into the system, even if at the very low levels uh, in a couple weeks um, with their IFA signing. So um, keep adding pitching. You can never have enough pitching, as, as frustrating as that may be. Uh, I think the best example is you look at the Detroit Tigers, a contending team. Uh, they had to give um, – uh, who did they sign for two? I'm blanking on the name. Mike Pelfrey. Uh, they gave Mike the great Pelfrey, Mike Pelfrey, I believe. Yes, of a career 4.7 ERA. They gave him two years and 18 million dollars. Um, so can the Braves are in no position at all to give someone like Mike Pelfrey nearly 10 million dollars a year. Um, you can see why, and of course he's been a disaster with the Tigers. So you can see why the Braves value homegrown pitching so much. And, and while it is certainly frustrating to have to say, well, these kids might be good in four or five years, um, there are no shortcuts when in a rebuild, and you really do have to kind of build from the ground up with, with high school talent. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on the overall. I mean, and again, the Braves have been vocal about this. I know kavi has been very vocal about it. They're going to take the best player available. They want to take talent, and he's aware. I mean, there's no way the front office, the front office isn't aware of the fact that they're going to get sort of skewered on this given what's in the system already to take three, to take three arms. And that kind of, it's almost encouraging to me and that, that they, they, they kind of don't care. They're going to take the guy that they want the best, their best guy in their opinion. Um, and just try to maximize value. And, you know, that from somebody, um, I'm an NBA, I'm a big NBA guy. And I, I was thinking about value in that same sense. It's, it's sort of cross sport, but especially in the NBA, when, you, when you're talking about, you know, you want, you want stars only, um, in the draft, you want to take upside. You want to. You, you can't. It's sort of that can't win without a star thing, where you got to. You're, you're trying to grab value wherever you can, and and upside. And I think the Braves are sort of. It's a little bit different than that, but they're trying to take that tact. Where again, I think the Pelfrey example is a great one, and there are several across baseball this year. Um, I think I wrote about this early in the season of all these free agent contracts for for some of these starting pitchers were they're just out of control, and the Braves see that. And again, you know they can't they can't afford to go out and spend that kind of money on two or three starters. Um, that's why the Julio Tehran deal is so valuable because he's so cost controlled and cheap. Um, but aside from that, you're looking at all these young guys because you can't get the free agent pitching doesn't exist. Um, and to be good enough to win long term, you got to have, you have to have this in-house pitching and you have to keep it moving also because once these guys hit free agency, they're probably going to be gone. You might be able to keep one or two if they all pan out. Obviously they're not, they're not going to all pan out, but you, you you have to pick and choose who you pay. So keeping the arm pipeline going is something that I I think this this organization values a lot. And you know you came away with value. That's my big takeaway. Even as much as it's not it's not it's, it's not as much fun to wait on these you know seventeen eighteen year old arms to to progress and maybe flam out. Because look, you, out of all these pitching prospects, these three guys you talk about Newcomb and Freed and Allard and all these guys, half of them are going to flam out. I mean that's that's the reality. At least, at, at least, least half. Right. Exactly. You might get. You might get two of these guys that really, really pan out out of 10, out of, you know, maybe three out of It's one of those things where you don't know, but it's not going to be more than half. I'll tell you that. Like, it's no. not, that's not happening. All these, even out, of, even out of these three guys, it would be shocking if two of them panned out. So it's one of those things where that's the reality of the baseball draft. And that's why the baseball draft isn't, isn't as big of a deal nationally as the football and basketball drafts are because these guys may not matter. Like they're gonna get, they get paid a lot of money, and that's and that's good for them, and they can sort of set themselves up for life if um if they're a top pick. But you know, look at any look at any first round of an MLB draft, and t- uh, you know, five six years, maybe ten years later, and tell me how how many guys you don't remember. Right. There's so many of these guys, and I, you know, I had the uh, I had the privilege of writing up the best and worst picks in Braves history in advance of the draft, and like some of these worst picks, like are guys that I sort of knew, but like I, I, I forgot that Tyler Houston was a number two overall pick. 
Yeah. Like there's it's there's there's tons of these guys that you recognize and you remember like oh he was the number five overall pick he wasn't very good like yeah that's what happens right. that's why the baseball draft is is what it is and like I, I know it's interesting to me it's interesting to you and it's interesting to a lot of people that read our site but I think context is definitely needed here it's not it's not as if um, Kyle Lewis was this like super duper safe you know ninety percent of the time he pans out kind of guy those guys don't really sure. exist. Right. And I think, too, the, the one thing that kind of stuck with me that, that Copy hit on when he talked with Jonah Carey on a podcast a couple weeks ago, which was really good. Um, it yeah, was go, not go listen can- to that, everybody. That was interesting. Yeah, podcast. if you haven't. It was not the canned, you know, we want to be competitive. It, he really kind of, I mean, he was dropping F-bombs midway through it. Um, you know, to me, the one theme that came out of that was the Braves could not afford to miss in this draft with such a big draft pool of money and, and their high picks. I think to me, the Braves got together in a room and said, look, if we miss on this number three pick, we are in big trouble, especially if they spend, you know, five or $6 million on that number three pick and don't add more top 25 talent at 40 and 44. Um, you can imagine, let's say they take a Corey Ray and he is nothing more than a fourth outfielder. Let's say they take a Kyle Lewis and he strikes out in a third of his at-bats and, and can't hit a curveball and, and realizes that the major leagues is far, far away from the Southern Conference. Um, if the Braves would have missed on one of those guys, a hitter, um, you can imagine the fallout of not hitting on not only the number three overall pick, but essentially two more first-round picks at 40 and 44. Uh, they really had to come through, and I think if you're the Braves, you kind of don't put all your eggs in one basket, especially in a year with no elite prospect at the top of the at the top of the draft. Um, and I think just the fact that the Phillies, no one knew what the Phillies or Reds were doing up until about four hours before the draft, spoke volumes about the uh, lack of high end talent in this draft. It's not that these these guys won't be good, you know, Mickey Moniak, Nick Senzel, they may be stars one day, but there wasn't a Bryce Harper, a Steven Strasburg, or Carlos Correa, um, even like a Dansby Swanson or a Brendan Rodgers. I think those guys would have been heavy locks to go 1-1. Uh, of course, they were at the top of last year's draft, whereas this year no one really knew who was going to go number one, number two, number three. Isn't it incredible that Dansby Swanson's a member of the Atlanta Braves organization? Just while yeah, we're I just can't. That that trade happened I, it was unreal even if he is just an average player Aaron Blair is nothing more than a fourth or a fifth starter and Ender and Ciarte can't really hit and just becomes kind of like a defensive specialist outfielder that trade is going to be so big for the Braves over the next six years um yeah and that's of course worst case scenario for for really all three of those guys yeah god bless you Dave Stewart um anyway uh, w- one more thing on this before we move on a couple of more a couple more picks I think uh, your overall point there is perfect. And like, I think if the Braves had been in love with one of these position players, uh, especially a college bat, they would have taken him. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like, I'm all about you know, especially with what I just said about um, how you know how hit and miss the baseball draft is. Give yourself three chances here. If one of these three pitchers hits in a big way, then nobody cares that the other two missed. Right. That's my thing. Like, if if, if Joey Wentz becomes a number one starter. No one's going right. to give a darn if, if if Ian Anderson flames out or even if he becomes just a fifth starter, which is, you know, his ceiling is lower. So, like, even if he either gets hurt, flames out, something like that, or Kyle Mueller, you know, something happens to Kyle Mueller, they end up trading him, blah, 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 blah. If one of these guys hits, everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. As, as crazy as that is to say, you know, a 33% success rate is, is, is good, but it, it kind of what it is. Like, you're paying, you know, however many millions you're paying to get these three guys in the system – you're only hoping for, I mean, two would be the win of all wins, and one would be just fine. Like, just give yeah. one of these guys panning out, and uh, everything's okay, and, and the uh, the approach panned out in a big way. Um, we should hit on at least the next two picks, I think. Um, the, the, the number one bat the Braves took in this draft came at the number 76 pick, uh, Brett Cumberland. He's a catcher from Cal. Um, there's some real question about whether he's gonna actually going to be able to, gonna be able to play catcher. Um at a professional level because of the fact that he really wasn't a very good, really good defender at the college level. Um, but you know, this is, this is a, a guy who's a switch hitter. He's got a plus hit tool from what everybody says. Um, and uh, the next, the, the next and last of the major picks um, was the first, you know, the Braves first pick in the third round. Um, his name is Drew Harrington. He's a left-handed uh, pitcher from Louisville. He was the ACC pitcher of the year. 
Um, probably a bit of a reach according to most of the most of the prospect guys, but he could be a reliever. And the Braves could be looking to see uh, if he might he might want to sign an underslot deal because he's a, he's a college veteran that probably just wants to get in the organization. Um, yeah. Do you like either one of these guys? What do you think about Cumberland and Harrington? Um, I actually saw Cumberland play um, earlier this year, being out here in Arizona. I saw him play. Um, I, of course, didn't watch him specifically, not knowing that he would be a future Brave. Sure uh, you did, Scott. Just face it. Tell everybody <laughs> right. you were locked in on Brett Cumberland. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I was there two hours early for batting practice. Um, but, yeah, he he can certainly hit. If you watch his videos, he has a beautiful swing, especially on the left side. It's it's a pure swing. Um, was the I think he was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Um, there are other questions of if, if he can catch or not. But, of course, if he can catch or at least be serviceable behind the plate, um, you have a potential star, as Keith Law said um, in his write-up, that, that Cumberland could be a star if he sticks behind the plate, considering uh, he was pretty confident that his bat would play at the higher levels. Um, but even if he isn't a catcher and he moves to you know left field long-term, uh, people kind of say, oh, he's going to be a corner outfielder who can hit. That's pretty rare. I mean, there's... The Braves <laughs> need a corner outfielder that hit. I'll tell you that right, right now. Yeah, I mean, look at the left fielders the Braves have had the last 10 years and tell me that an average hitting left fielder uh, who isn't going to lose the ball every time it's hit out there, uh, you know, Evan Gaddis, uh, w- wouldn't be valuable. Um, the Braves would absolutely take that. So to take him, um, again, he's another college guy. He should be able to move through the system at least um, a little bit quicker. Um, of course, being a catcher will take some time. Um, Harrington, you know, I watched his start. He was on earlier today, pitched really well for, for Louisville. Um, another guy who could move through the system pretty quickly. Uh, might have the upside of a four or a five starter, but considering the Braves took a bunch of seventeen and eight year old eighteen year olds with their last couple uh, first round picks, uh, it will be good to have a, an older guy in the system who could potentially see the team, you know, by by late twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen. So, like the picks, they should sign decently cheap, uh, which is another benefit considering that Anderson, Wentz, and Mueller will all probably get uh, upwards of three million dollars. Yeah, that's the other thing about taking some some college veterans uh, in those in those two slots is that those guys have every incentive to just sign. Um, they might take discounts because of the fact that you know they probably don't want to go back to college. They probably want to yeah. go play professional baseball. And if you don't sign, you got to wait another year. It's one of those things where the high school guys can just say, "Nope, I'm going to go to college," or "I'll wait a year" or something like that. But if you're these if you're, if you're these college veterans, you you know you have every incentive to come come be in the organization. Maybe you might take a slight discount. And the Braves know that and. Um, you know, Cumberland and Harrington, not super duper exciting, but Cumberland, especially because of the fact that Braves need bats. And if he could play catcher, I mean, the, we've talked about how bad the catching, the catching, uh, reserves are for the Braves right now in the, in the minors. Um, if he can even be semi-functional, even if he's just Evan Gaddis as a catcher and, and Gaddis was bad. There's no question about it. Gaddis was a bad defensive catcher, but he made it to the, he made it to the, to the major leagues as a catcher, like there's a there's a limit on how bad you can be long term when you've seen Gaddis move around because he's so bad. But at the same time, like he was good enough to make it to the majors as a catcher. Um, so if Cumberland could just do that um, and even just be a below average defender, if he if he hits like he's um, like like he might hit, that would be a win for the Braves at a at a, at a position where they really have nothing coming aside from I don't know maybe one or two guys later. Yeah, absolutely. There's very very little like catcher right now throughout the entire organization and. As we've seen, very few catchers hit the open market. I mean, Francisco Cervelli just got $20 million. Uh, well, it's going to happen. I mean, the, right now, the Braves, I mean, Przinski actually signed a cheaper deal than he probably could have gotten to stay mm-hmm. with the Braves this year. Um, and he's, what is he, 40? Is he almost 40 now? He's, he's, yeah. he's at least 39. Yeah. And yeah. he was, you know, he might have been the Braves' best option in free agency. Yeah. It's one of those yeah. things where, like, and, you know, Tyler, your, your, your major league catchers are Pruszynski and Tyler Flowers, um, and with nobody behind them, like, you want to get as many irons in the fire as possible. Yep. So give Cumberland a shot, and, and, and as Keith Ball mentioned, like, if he can, if he can stick there, that would be really good. Yep. Um, one more quick one because it's a local product. The Braves took Matthew Gonzalez, a second baseman from Georgia Tech, um, in the sixth round. Uh, we could we can go super deep on all these guys, but we, we won't do that. But because he's a local guy, um, worth mentioning. Uh, he he largely played outfield at Tech, um, but he he was drafted, we think, as a second baseman. And uh, Braves um, executive Brian Bridges said that they are encouraged by his bat speed and his strength. Um, do you see anything on on Gonzalez? I'm not expecting you to be able to recite anything on Gonzalez because I obviously didn't know much about him either. But it's it's at least fun to have a local guy around. 
Yeah, sure. You know, and as you said, I think the thing that sticks out with him is his versatility. He can play around the infield. He can play around the outfield. Um, if you can get a good, solid utility player, you absolutely take it, especially um, if he's a younger guy, a homegrown guy who isn't going to cost you much money at all every year. So, um, again, it kind of falls in with after taking three young guys, one, two, and three, uh, you get some age and experience into the system, and hopefully he works out and can move quick and, and be a hometown guy uh, you know, by late 2017, early 2018. Well, there it is. We will have uh, we're planning on having Eric Cole on next week for the podcast to sort of wrap up the draft. I know a lot of you uh, a lot of you are asking about where these guys are going to fall in our Talking Chop uh, prospect rankings. Um, our prospect guys, Eric and uh, Eric and Garrett, and those guys are working on that um, even as we speak. Um, obviously, they have to do a little bit more study than uh, it required to uh, put those guys where they want them. But uh, that actually gives us a good segue into the mailbag this week, where we were asked that question numerous times. But instead of trying to give you the official talking shop answer, me and Scott are going to riff because that's what we do. Um, the, the the one we picked out um, came from Robbie Tinsley in the mailbag. He asks uh, if we have any early projections for the draftees will rank in the system. Um, I, uh, I asked Scott to prepare this because Scott is much smarter than I am. <laughs> where, where do you think the uh, – we'll, we'll just deal with the, with the top three picks now, the three high school pitchers. Where do you think those guys are going to rank in your personal prospect rankings for the uh, organization as of, as of right now with uh, very little time to prepare this? I would say they're probably top eight guys. Um, of course, I think Dansby and Albies are, are one, two. Um, considering his age and that he's already at Mississippi, I, I would say that Sean Newcomb, uh, with his upside too, is is my third. Um, I have Colby Allard fourth. Um, I think his ceiling is arguably higher than anybody else's in the system, other than maybe Tukey. Um, so I have Allard fourth. Um, in my quick run through, I would probably have Anderson, Wentz, and Mueller uh, five, six, and seven. I hope I, I'm not forgetting anybody. Um, but Anderson fifth, Wentz sixth, Mueller seventh. Um, I'd probably have uh, either Max Freed or, or Tukey at eight. Um, uh, you know, they, they all have upside. Of course, all I've really seen of them are some YouTube clips and read a couple of scouting reports. Um, obviously, all are very talented. Um, and, and But when you consider that guys like Aaron Blair and Malik Smith, uh, a couple others have, have been promoted to uh, the big leagues and are no longer eligible, um, it's nice to, of course, restock that farm system every single year. Um, you don't just want the farm system to be strong when you're rebuilding. You want it to be strong down the road uh, whenever the team is going well. And hopefully uh, some of the guys the Braves have acquired over the last 18 months uh, will be promoted to the big leagues and start helping the te- big league team win games. And then, um, of course, guys like Allard and Anderson and Wentz and Tukey and, and, a hand- and Soroka, uh, those guys – uh, those guys start to fill in and, and then, of course, continue to develop. And it's, you know, it's a never-ending cycle with the minor leagues. And um, I, I do like that there's the upside with all three of them. They, the Braves stayed away from safe college players, which was really why the system took such a dip, I guess, over the last couple of years when Frank Wren was, was running the show. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I think that's a, good, that's a great point in that uh, you know, when the major league team is good, you know, the great majority of the fan base does not care about the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the major leagues, and right now we're in sort of this this weird spot where a lot of fans are really really keyed in on the young guys because that's all there is to be excited about. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting to see how that how that transitions. But at the same time, it's really important that the Braves keep this pipeline moving. Um, I think we were expecting the team to be at least semi competitive next year and more competitive than that in 2018. But um, even as these uh, as these upper tier guys arrive, you got to have more behind them, or else you end up in a spot where the Braves run, have the worst um, prospect you know system in the, in the in the major leagues, which is pot, you know you know as of two years ago was a legitimate thing. Like the Braves might have had the worst system in the in the bigs, um, and that's something that hopefully under this new regime won't ever happen again. And the way that they're stocking this system, I doubt it. I doubt it does. They're really placing a premium on that under Copy and that and John Hart and these guys, and that's encouraging to me. But um, Keeping that going is definitely huge. Absolutely. It's fun. I mean, as bad as the big league Braves are, if the farm system was in shambles, I would be you know ready to jump off a bridge. Um, but because there is so much excitement with the young kids, we're already seeing a few of them trickle up to Atlanta. Um, you have the, the arguably the best farm system, if not the best, than the top three system. You add a bunch of high, uh, bunch of college and high school talent. You're about to add a bunch of international free agents. Uh, there are bright days ahead. If if there wasn't the light at the end of the tunnel, it would be a lot worse than it is now. 
Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't long for the days when the Talking Shop prospect rankings were headlined by guys like Sean Gilmartin. Um, so I'm, I'm good with having some guys that we can actually um, be excited about in minor leagues. Um, next question comes from uh, at ChrisKlein247 on Twitter. Um, he asks, if you were the Braves front office, is there anybody on the roster that is untouchable? And uh, I'm going to add this a little bit for Scott and just ask you a little bit um, about if you're worried about Freddie Freeman. I've talked a ton about Freeman. Uh, I know Carlos and I have previously, and even Eric and I touched on it last week. Um, In addition to the uh, if there's anybody untouchable question, uh, I'll ask you if if you're worried at all about Freddie Freeman, who most people think is the untouchable guy. I don't think anyone should be untouchable, but to me, trading Freeman, who is the only – legitimate bat really in the entire lineup right now I cannot possibly imagine a scenario where the Braves trade him Um, you know the contract yes he's going to start getting expensive um, but everybody is going to be expensive that's just where we're at in Major League Baseball right now honestly Um, I'll I'll let you keep going but honestly it's not that expensive yeah yeah I I know 20 million sounds like a lot of money but like 20 million in 26 in 2017 20 that's not that much money. That's like no. above average starting baseball player money. That's not like super duper right. star money anymore. Sorry. And that, that's exactly what Freddie is. He's an above average player. Um, you know, to me, I think there's the the worry um, with his wrist. I think also being on such a bad team has to be taking a mental toll. Even if you're a, a star player and you're being paid to be a leader and all that. Um, you can't tell me that that Freddie is is inclined right now to spend three hours in the batting cage and watching tape on the next series pitcher, uh, you know, after a game when the team is you know eighteen and forty four or whatever they are after today. Um, so I can't imagine the Braves trading Freeman really under any circumstance. I don't think he should be untouchable. If somebody calls and asks, um, you absolutely have to listen. At least you know, throw me your best offer, send me something I can't refuse, but. Um, can't imagine that, that he's untouchable. Um, but other than Freddie, I, I think I would trade just about everybody. Um, maybe not Dansby just because there's a good chance that he is at least an average everyday major leaguer who's going to be cheap for six years. Um, probably the same with Albies though. If a monster deal came along, um, I, I would at least listen. Um, but yeah, you know, Freddie, he is who he is. You hope that the wrist injury isn't bothering him. There's been no apparent signs of, of injury. Um, maybe he's hiding something. Maybe he's not. Um, but at this point, I think the Braves are kind of done dumping at least their their high-profile talent. Um, it's it's to the point where they need to start thinking about being competitive. Um, you know, Probably more like 2018 is the year where they really have a chance to at least break 500 and be uh, somewhat in the playoff hunt. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned Dansby. I think he would be ahead of Freeman on the untouchable list. Interesting for yeah. me, only because you're talking about that cost control. He's going to be so cheap, um, and you know he's relatively close. Being being a college guy and and being uber successful in his first professional season, like there's there's and because he plays shortstop, all those all those things. Um, Freeman, you know, I think he's appropriately paid. I think there's been some there's been some talk about the fact that he'll be some overpaid guy now. I think as long as he's been, as long as he is what he's been the last, you know, three four years, that he's appropriately paid. Yeah, they didn't need to like he didn't need to become a thirty five home run guy to be able to justify this contract. I and mean, I think people are stuck in the old way of uh, talking about contracts. I think you, if you look around at what free agents get these days, right. especially pitchers, but you know, high end high, high end position players like Bryce Harper is going to get forty like forty fifty million dollars a year. Yep. like twenty million dollars is a lot of money. There's no question about that, but. That's what you're paying for a, a a star, not a superstar, but a star, like a three-one player, which is what Freddie Freeman is. Yep. That's what he's been for you know three, four, five years now, and I think that's what he's going to be um, this year. He's not been that, which is that's troubling, but he's not so old where you have to be thinking that he's already on the decline. He might just be not handling this, ha- handling losing well, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not terribly worried, but I think he's appropriately paid. But the value on that deal won't be there once it jumps to twenty million or so. Whereas Swanson, uh, all indications are that he's going to be able to outperform that contract, obviously, because you know those those guys get paid peanuts in their first you know five six seasons. To where I think he's actually more valuable um, on the trade market than Freeman would be. And um, yeah. Albie's, I think, would be more untouchable if he if Swanson didn't exist. It's one of those things where because uh, I think Albie's value would be so much higher if he projected to be the shortstop moving forward. But because I think Swanson plays shortstop. Um, it almost takes a hit on Albie's untouchable status. Uh, 
um, just, you know, that's, that's just me talking, but, um, because he doesn't have power because he's, you know, the stature hasn't hurt him at this point. He's so fast that he makes up for that. But, um, I think he, uh, becomes more, more touchable if that's, what, if that's the word we're going to use because of Swanson's existence, but I don't want to uh, derail the conversation, but that's just sure. my two cents. Yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 again, I, if the Braves are really serious about winning, I can't imagine they really trade Freeman, Swanson, or Albies anytime soon. I'm Not with the, you all the way on that, for sure. No one should be untouchable in a rebuild, but if they trade one of those three, it would have to be for a massive haul of major league-ready players. I, I can't imagine they'd trade them for a bunch of you know A-ball kids, no matter what their, what their upside or what their, you know, their tools say about them. Agreed, all the way. Um one more, at least one more question. Might, might get to two more. Um, this one comes from uh, Davis McCondici. I think I'm. I probably I probably butchered that name, but alas. Um, if you had to pick a starting pitcher for the most wins by the end of the season, who would it be? And huh. obviously, wins is not a category that we really care about much. But this is fun in that um, there are five guys on the team that have two wins each right now. Uh, Julio. Matt Whistler, Fulte, Bud Norris, and Williams Perez all have two wins, and that's the, that is the team high right now, which is unspeakable in mid-June. But um, this is a fruitless exercise, but it's going to be a fun huh. one. What, who do you think is going to lead? I think I uh, I know who I'm picking, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, probably Julio, I guess. The what only... a bold pick from you, Scott. Uh, I know. Picture. The only reason he might not be is that they would trade him uh, at the deadline, uh, which is a whole nother discussion and can of worms that we could open. But um, yeah, probably Julio. I saw him out in San Diego the other day. He looked terrific. Um, really kind of battled back. Not that the Padres are the 27 Yankees out there, but um, he's looked good all year. Um, seems to really have regained whatever he may have lost or wasn't comfortable with last year. So I'll say Julio, but I can't imagine, just considering the state of the roster, anyone's going to have more than you know eight or nine wins this season. Oh, Lord. I, you know, that's that's the sad reality is that uh, we, for as much talk as we as – we, uh, we all talked about Shelby Miller's lack of wins last year because he was so good and he just couldn't get wins because the team was so bad uh, and the bullpen was so bad. Um, that's going to happen to Julio, the, the Julio this year. I think he's going to post a sub, you know, 325 ERA and win six games. Some outrageous thumb number like that, and he'll be talked about. You know, even nationally, he'll be talked about for his lack of wins because of the yeah. fact that he's going to be so good. Uh, and the team is so bad. I think he's the only answer if we're talking, to, if we're actually trying to make this the, the accurate choice. Uh, I think Whistler's the only guy who can catch him because I, I just don't think Whistler's going to leave the rotation. Those no. are the two safest bets to be in the rotation all year long. And um, Whistler, you know, he's kind of cooled off after his hot start, and that's a bit troubling. But you know, I'll take Whistler against you just just to, just to say the opposite sure. thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Julio, my, Julio's the choice, I think. My bold pick of Julio Tehran. And you know. It, we should at least take this notion, uh, this opportunity to say that wins don't matter, and to tell people yeah. that again that wins don't matter. Yeah. Um, I, I think we can use Shelby last year and Julio this year as exhibits A and B of it doesn't matter how well you pitch if no one scores runs for you, yeah. or or if your bullpen implodes every time you leave the game. Um, mm. So I'm actually looking forward to Julio winning six games um, with a, <laughs> with like a 2.90 ERA. Yeah, 210 innings because he's so good and the team's so bad. So that'll be a good opportunity to um, talk about how the wins don't, how wins don't matter. Yeah, um, and I'll we'll do one more. I'll let you I'll let you get get out of here on this one. Um, this this could be fun. Um, uh, at M Dubs eight asks um, Bra- the Braves seem to be primed to make a three for one trade or something of that kind for offense. Um, who might be a, re- a realistic target if they do that? Um, before we before I actually ask you to answer that, Scott, we should say that it's very very difficult to yeah. uh, project trades um, just because you don't know who's available. You don't know what the Bra- who, who on the Braves is actually available because Coffee's not going to ever say that this guy's available or this guy's not available. Um, but this could be fun. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, we, we talked about this before, before we started recording, but uh, John Heyman came out with a list of guys this week um, in which the Braves actually had four guys on this list of, uh, of 30 players who could be traded before the deadline. Uh, we wrote about this um, from a Braves perspective this week, but a couple of the bats that are on that list, um, Jonathan Lucroy, Ryan Braun, Carlos Gonzalez from the Rockies, Jay Bruce, uh, Will Myers was on the list. Um, there's a few other guys, but um, who do you think um, could be available if the Braves elected to sort of make this sort of big trade at the deadline, which I don't think any of us see is coming. But if, if, they, if that does happen, who would you like to see the Braves target? Um, somebody off this list, somebody on this list? Who, 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 would you, who uh, could you see uh, the Braves targeting? 
I think if if I'm the Braves and they're looking to trade pitching, uh, Tehran or Vizcaino, something like that, I think the two teams that make sense are the Red Sox and the Rangers uh, for a number of reasons. One, um, Boston and Texas have a ton of young hitters who, of course, would be very appealing to the Braves. Uh, the Red Sox are up there with the Braves for the best farm system in Major League Baseball with most of their talent being bats. Um, you know, and they have a handful of guys who are in the, the high A to double A range. Um, and, and the same with the Rangers. Of course, they have a ton of hitters. Joey Gallo might be without a position, uh, depending on how they kind of shake things out. Um, you know, of course, they've brought up uh, Nomar Mazara, and they have, who would be untouchable. I, I can't imagine they would move him. But um, both Texas and Boston being American League teams in search of both starting um, the Rangers starting rotation has actually been pretty good this year, but of course you can never have enough starters if you're a playoff contender. Um, they have hitting, they could use the bullpen help. The Red Sox could really use some help, um, in the starting rotation. And if you throw, uh, Vizcaino in that bullpen with, with Kimbrel and Yui Har and a couple others, um, you know, the game would be six or seven innings every night. So, um, I think those are two teams that make sense. Of course, the Cubs, they, they have enough starting pitching, but if they want to add someone like Tehran or if they want to take Vizcaino back again, he'd be like the most traded Braves-Cubs player in history. Um, they would make sense just considering how good their farm system is as well. Um, so those are probably the three best teams. But again, I can't imagine there's going to be a blockbuster. Um, Tehran may get traded, but I, I'm leaning towards that not happening, especially in midseason. It might be more of an off-season deal. Um, but yeah, those three teams probably make sense. And who knows? It's it's tough to project trades, especially you know almost a month and a half out from the deadline. Yeah, it's absolutely impossible, as we talked about. But you know, Boston, Texas make, do make a lot of sense um, for the Red Sox. I think Julio would be would be their number two starter immediately. Yeah, and that's yeah. a team that wants they want to win the World Series this year. And with their rotation as it is, like it's not happening. Yeah, it's like, David Price. It's David Price who hasn't been good by David Price standards, and nobody. I mean, they have Rick Porcello, a couple other guys who are okay. Right. The knuckleballer and but yeah, no, you're they're grasping, yeah. you're yeah. grasping for straws big time there. And Texas could use a Roydis out of the bullpen, but keep an eye on. I think if I think the most likely scenario if the Braves were actually to do this would be for them to trade um, this guy. You know, I, I doubt they're going to trade Julio in season unless it's one of those like overwhelming hauls, uh, right. a la Shelby Miller. But yeah. this guy, you know, like a closer could have more value almost in season because you might have a team get desperate. Um, I think they can they they can contend and really need that that you know that end of that end of the game arm and this guy you know has been one of the best pitchers in the league out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. So, He's been great. Everything that his uh, coming up as a prospect, just how electric his arm was, I think that's finally paying paying dividend. Of course, he was another guy who take a lo- took a little bit longer, but. Uh, he's been tremendous. We, and we've, we've also seen the Braves, you know, maximize that that kind of pitcher. I mean, Kimbrel is awesome and still is, but like the Braves got a lot for Kimbrel. It's one of those things where it, they, they, I think, I think the Braves understand that a reliever can only have so much value, um, and that other other teams don't always understand that philosophy, and that you know, a guy's going to pitch sixty times in a season, and he might throw 70, 80 innings max, and that's going to be it. Um, and there's there's a cap on how valuable you can be, even if you're the best uh, reliever in the league. So keep an eye on Aroidus, but other than that, it would be tough to uh, actually pigeonhole a specific trade offer or a deal. Um, Scott, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, not too much. I think uh, the next couple months are, are going to be rough, um, but uh, it's it's kind of par for the course, and there are things to look forward to. Um, you know, maybe you're not tuning in every night to watch the game, but again, tune in uh, the first week of July. A lot of young talents are going to be signed by the Braves, um, and you know, every night you got to check the minor league recap on Talking Chop. That's the thing that kind of keeps me going, uh, even if you know the the teams aren't winning. You see the individual performances uh, more times than not. There's at least a couple things to get excited about. So, hang in there. It's uh, it's a tough year, but hopefully, brighter days are ahead. And not too long. For sure. As we recorded this, uh, the Braves are currently losing 13-2 to in the ninth inning on this fine Sunday afternoon. The wheels have come off, but alas, um, keeping an eye on the minor league recaps is uh, definitely a good idea, as Scott mentioned. And uh, just stay tuned to Talking Chop for all your Braves needs. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Talking Chop. Uh, you can follow um, me on Twitter, at BT Roland, and you can follow Scott at ScottHoland55. Uh, Scott, we appreciate it, man. I'm uh, glad you could be on. We'll have you again soon. And uh, everybody else, uh, stay tuned next week. We'll be back with episode 18. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Brad.